Welcome to the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast, where we share real-life experiences for successful Caribbean property entrepreneurs. Learn about their successes, challenges, and strategies to help you create your plan for financial freedom. Now let's get started. I love my community. It teaches you the importance of being together even for difficult times. Business owners doing their best to make it through, fishermen and farmers working hard to put food on our tables. Nurses caring for the sick shows me who we are made of. People who care. I guess it's about growing together. To ruminate, to create your ultimate living space. And at Courts, you'll find what you need. Choose from our wide range of furniture, electronics, and accessories to complete your space. We're here and ready to assist. Give us a call to place your order. Shop online at shopcourts.com or visit us in store. So ruminate at Courts, bringing value home. Welcome to episode 20 of the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast. Continue sharing the information, liking our pages, following us, joining conversation. Uh, the more feedback we get, uh, the better prepared we, we are, um, the more information we actually share. You might send us to do more research. Uh, and essentially, our objective is to educate, enlighten, and just ensure that people interested in property investing or people interested in just getting their first home or even renting an apartment can have information that can help them make better decisions for themselves and their families. Today we have another special guest. Guest Today with us we have Mr. Jamal Francis of the Institute of Architects of St. Lucia. Mr. Francis, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here, Anselm. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you taking the time, even in quarantine, to speak to us. But guess what? You have nowhere else to go, so you, you, you stuck with us for a little while. So, so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? All right. Um, I, I'm an architect by profession. I went to Njipo Secondary School. After that, I went on to Sir Arthur Lewis Community College. Well, DTEMS, actually, I went to um, Mon Technical College. Never really wanted to go to um, A-level. Um, then I worked for about two years with C.O. Williams. I worked on the, um, the Tunnel Road project primarily, but a lot of other projects. You know, I was a, a lab tech at the time, testing soils, concrete, etc. Then... I, I went to study in Cuba in 1998 and came back in 2004 um, with my qualifications. Worked after that with um, Michael Pascal, who was who used to practice down here. He was a, a senior architect at the time. Worked with him for about two years, got some experience. Went back to work with C.O. Williams, running a precast um, design yard. Then went out on my own. Uh, I've, since then, I've worked with Renault. I've worked on my own multiple times. I'm currently uh, a business owner. I have um, a, a multidisciplinary firm called The Design House. So we do architecture, mechanical engineering, and electrical engineering. We have registered architects and engineers in-house. You know, I mean, that's, that's been going well. So um, I think that's where we, we're based for now, you know. So you also wear another hat as the president of the Institute of Architects. Why don't you tell the audience yes. about uh, that organization? Okay. Um, the Architects of St. Lucia is basically the, the, the body which represents professional architects in St. Lucia. We have about 44 members, 26 of whom are registered architects, and um, we have quite a few uh, awaiting registration currently. Um, we have associate members and full members. We got our Architects Registration Act passed in um, 2005, I believe it was, yes. And then 
an amendment to that in 2014. Um, and that is the, the governing law for the practice of architecture in St. Lucia. Why was that, that, that act important? Why is it important? Yeah, well, you, you have to realize that architecture is a very involved field. It's not as simple as most folks make it out to be. Um, I mean, an architect is basically responsible for an entire building. The architect is pretty much the only professional who designs the entire building from, from scratch, you know. Engineers will design sections of the building. Uh, quantity surveyors will price the building, etc. But from start to finish, there is usually or should be an architect on any project. And you cannot have that sort of, I mean, most people, when they build their home or they build a, an investment property, it's a fairly big investment for them. Not everyone is a multimillionaire who can afford to throw away a couple hundred thousand on a building, you know, that's not built properly. So it's, it's really a consumer protection act. It is there to ensure that professionals handle certain buildings over a certain size. All right. That is to protect the, the, um, the investment of the owner. It's also there to protect the public who may use the building if it's a commercial building. Um, and you have to remember that more and more we're talking about resilience in the Caribbean. So you, you want to ensure that your, your buildings are designed to a certain standard. Now, before you, the Architects Registration Act, there was nothing defining who could design certain buildings. Anyone, and I mean anyone, not only folks who went to, to Sir Arthur Lewis or Montec, anyone who could use a computer could design, put together a building for someone. And, you understand? and it's, it's not something that, that you can play around with. It's not something that you can leave in the hands of just anyone. Um, I, I always compare it to, for example, the, a nurse, comparing a nurse to a doctor or a, a dental assistant to a, a, a dentist, you know? You don't, not, there may be nurses out there who can do the work of a doctor, who have the experience, have been it for their whole lives, etc. And they know what they're talking about. But that doesn't mean that you can simply say that all nurses can now practice medicine. You understand? Same thing with paralegals, etc. So again, it's a consumer protection bill and it is there for the protection of consume not just private consumers but governments um because government projects are, are multi-million dollar projects you know so as, as a layman one would assume or presume that the building codes building codes would serve as mm -hmm. adequate uh protection for safety and for certain standards and guidelines before that act you see the problem is building codes are generally guides um you you have it, there, there's a, a significant lack of um, supervision on most projects in Saint Lucia, and although a building may be designed to a certain um, standard, it doesn't mean that it gets built to that standard. All right, so building codes fall short in that regard. That it in the end, it's usually up to the contractor because most Saint Lucians do ever want to hire someone to supervise the contractor. You know, mm -hmm. so. Even though a, a, a building code made uh, this spacing between your rafters, you should have this sort of spacing for your steel for a certain span of slab, etc. You cannot just assume that persons are um, adhering to the building code. And remember, there's no licensing for contractors down here either. So anyone can call themselves a contractor and build a house as long as someone gives them the contract. Mm -hmm. So... The number one question that we would get from our audience when they, they hear that we have an architect as our next guest is, why do I need a contract, uh, an architect and when do I need an architect? When, let me start with when do you need an architect? <laughs> um, generally in the international community, an architect is your first point of contact. All right. Um, in the region, architects haven't been that pronounced. So, you know, you find a lot of people starting off with an engineer or even starting off with a contractor and then getting someone to just sort of put together their designs for them. The, the best course of action is to start off with your architect. You start off with an architect, you explain to, to them what it is you, you need, and they work back from there. I'm sure you, you're, you're a developer, right? 
you and the other developers yeah. out there, I'm sure you have had situations. Where, <laughs> I'm sure you have had situations where you ask someone ask someone to design something for you um, within a certain budget. When they're finished the, the design and you get it priced, it's way over what you were you were expecting it to be. All right. Architects will start off if an architect starts off with your budget, they will work to that budget. If you try to go, if you try to implement anything into the project, push anything into there that will take you over budget, they will tell you, listen, you are going over budget. You, you cannot include this in the in the project, you know. So it's it's important to start off with an architect so that you, you have a good base for your for your design. Okay. I always tell people. Not everyone who can use a computer and produce nice, pretty renderings can actually design a proper building for you, you know? So that is, that is when you should start off with the architect, from scratch, okay? Um, why you should start off with the architect? Well, I just gave you one, one example of that, why, you know? A lot of the time, I, I've had calls from banks where the banks have been telling me, you know, that they want to sit down with the Architects Association because they find that a lot of their clients come in and when they get with their design, they realize that that is out above their, their budget, you know, that the design, they, they cannot build the design. And I, I, just, I asked the bank, who is the architect? Half of the time it's not an architect, it's a draftsman. You have to remember about 80% of the houses in St. Lucia are below the threshold of 2,500 square feet. So you're talking about 80% of the houses that are probably designed by an architect. You know, architects are trained more than any other construction professional in being a client's representative. Okay. We, we represent our clients. We take our clients' projects on personally and try to ensure that it is designed and built to their, to their, to what they were hoping for. Okay. So. When you, when you employ an architect, you're not just getting a design. Um, most, most draftsmen, I, I can tell you, will take it up to TCA approval, and that's it. They hand you over your approved drawings and, and the end of that. Remember, DCA approval, approved drawings don't have most details. They would have certain construction details, certain engineering details, but things like um, door and window schedules, um, hardware schedules, Things like that. Even things like um, concrete strength, is, a lot of the time, is not included. You know, so your, your engineering really comes into play there. So just because you have DC approval does not mean that you have a full set of drawings that can be used to construct a house. Half of the time, the contractor has to sort of make it up along the way. And that's where cost overruns come in. You know, most of the time, a, a project goes over budget. It's either because there wasn't enough detail in there for the contractor to price it properly, or there wasn't enough supervision. So a lot of things went wrong on the site, etc. Yeah. Now, now, the most common reason, if any research, any mm -hmm. formal primary research was to be undertaken, the mm -hmm. number one reason a professional person, uh, landowner, or someone who is about to build their first home, the number one reason for choosing a draftsman over an architect, albeit it may be perception, is because people believe that the architect is a lot more expensive. Um, how do you mm -hmm. address that concern? And I gave an example in, in a previous podcast mm -hmm. about my second project, uh, which which I learned, you know, a painful lesson, which I, 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 I'm still learning today. I'm still suffering with today. Um, and that is where I got a draftsman to submit one of my sketches, um, <laughs> approved, constructed. And then I realized that um, I had an FO issue as well as uh, a weather side issue because of the design of the house. It didn't cater... Um, to the fact that uh, again, didn't cater for the, the 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 fact that I the front of the house is on the weather side, and so I would need different shutters, different windows, a specific shutters, specific yeah. windows uh, to avoid um, what they call a concept called horizontal rain, which when I heard that I thought that was just absolute madness. But there is horizontal rain, driving rain, wind driven rain, yeah, wind driven rain. 
Um, all those things, obviously, the draftsman did not tell me about. So I know that was a long question. So how do we, how do you, how, how do you address that perception um, by perhaps giving the consequences to our audience why they should definitely consider an architect who sees a draftsman? Okay, well, let's start off with the the costs, um, the fee, the fee, the fees that you normally incur. I, I had listened to your last podcast and you mentioned, you know, that a, a draftsman would charge anywhere from, from $3 a square foot to $5 a square foot, anywhere around there. Um, architects generally don't charge by the square foot. I don't know many architects who do. It's usually by a percentage of the construction, the estimated construction cost, or by time. You know, how long it's going to take you, how many man hours you and your, your technician or your staff would have to put in. Okay, that's the other thing you have to remember. Draftsmen, um, architects always hire draftsmen, all right? We don't do it on our own, but most of us try not to. We also hire engineers. We don't try to do that on our own either. <laughs> um, but let's say, for example, that um, you're looking at a 3,000 square foot house, all right? Let's analyze it. And I'll, I'll tell you, an architect's um, scale of fees would normally run anywhere from 2.5% on a, a residential building. You know, two and a half percent of construction costs to three percent, maybe three point five. is a very difficult building. It has a lot to do with the complexity of the building. You know, um, so let's say you have a three thousand square foot um, home or building that you want to put up. That would give you, you know, a, a small um, main apartment and two small apartments under it or something like that. All right? You're looking at anywhere from six hundred thousand to nine hundred thousand dollars in construction cost for that. All right. If you consider 3% of that, you're looking at about $18,000, okay? Look at the fees for a draftsman. You know, you're looking at anywhere from 9,000 to uh, 12,000, maybe even higher. I, I know a lot of draftsmen who charge as much as architects, all right? Um, and on top of that, they still have to pay an architect to review and certify this. Now, that is a point I want to get come back to, but let me continue with this first. Um, yeah, so let's say you, you're looking at about five to seven thousand dollars difference on a six hundred to nine hundred thousand dollar investment. You're really going to um, pay to, to skimp on, you know, about seven thousand dollars. Where you can get an architect, I, I always compare it to to buying an electric heater instead of spending on a solar heater when you're building. You know. You, yeah, you can get a, an electric heater cheap and put it in there. But if you have an apartment building and you have an electric heater, how much are you going to end up spending at the end of the year? You know, the, 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 honestly, the cost comparison, is, that is a, a major fallacy. Unless you have a very, very new draftsman, a very green draftsman who's charging you, I don't know, $1, one fifty a square foot or something. You're not really saving that much between a draftsman and an architect. And at $1.150, you don't want that person designing your home or your, or your apartment building. You know what I'm It's just not... I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quote. Tony Gibbs, a very famous um, or very well-known Caribbean engineer, always says, the most expensive house is the one not standing after the storm. Okay? So... They, they always tell you, spend a little extra to ensure that your house can stand up. And even with architectural fees, okay, what, what percentage of six to $900,000 is $18,000? In fact, it's $7,000, which is the difference. There's no, that's negligible. Now, I understand that people generally have to put out that money before they even get a loan. Okay, so, and that's always a consideration. But we are actually trying to work with the banks currently so that design fees for all professionals can be included all right, in, in loans. We, that's something we're currently working on because we know that that is usually the issue, that persons have to shell out the money. So even if it's $2,000 they're saving, they think that it's better for them to save the $2,000. All right? But in the end, it is going to cost you more you know, when, you, when you have a house that's not designed properly. That, that $2,000, uh, which in the grand scheme of things for that size project um, to, I guess, to an architect uh, might not be much, but that's a, a sofa from Wayfair. You know, that's a, a contribution to your countertop. Um, but that, I, I, yeah, I, so, I, I but, 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 let, but let me ask you, yeah, it's a sofa from Wayfair and you're going to have it in what house after the storm? 
right. So I said, I said, in jest, Jamal, but we always get um, feedback from our audience, you know, and then you guys are always talking about expensive bills and multi million dollar buildings. Let's talk about uh, uh, under two five, but the average house in San Luis is what? Is San Luis is what? 1,500 square feet? For the middle class, about fifteen hundred square feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, and up to two thousand. That's that's average, yeah. So, so that person would be would form more than maybe sixty percent or seventy percent of all the the large and submitted. Seventy percent. All right. So, so, so speak to that person. All right. So, again, you're looking at uh, let's say one thousand five hundred, and I'll tell you, I have designed many houses below 2,500 square feet, okay? I, I design almost any size house. I don't um, turn up my nose at any... I, I love designing houses. Designing houses are a lot more fun than designing um, commercial buildings. Most of the time, commercial building is just a, an open space inside, you know? Um, let me just check something there. Okay, so if you're looking at a 1,500 square foot house, Okay, you're looking at architectural fees somewhere around, uh, let's say, ten thousand dollars somewhere around there. All right, let's just put that. What's your average bill cost? From your experience, what's your average bill cost per square foot? Middle class. Average bill for me runs anywhere from two fifty to three fifty. Yeah, you have to remember. You have to remember a contractor always adds on twenty percent to this thing. So. Don't, don't think that if you build it by yourself, it's the same, that is the, the, the average building cost. The average building cost is what the contractor charges. Right? Okay. And they have their markups on the materials, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there, there, there's a big difference in that. But again, I would, especially speaking to the persons below, you know, below the, the threshold, let's analyze what happened in Dominica after um, Hurricane Maria. 80% of the, of the buildings in the region are residential homes. And the vast majority of those are below the threshold. Okay, those are the homes that always get damaged. This is an issue not only for the homeowner, for the average homeowner, but it is an issue for governments as well, because that is where the majority of the expense, apart from fixing roads and bridges, etc., that's where the majority of the expense comes in. And these persons trying to rebuild their homes after a storm, after a major storm. St. Lucia has been very lucky. And people, as, as a Trinidadian um, colleague always tells me, St. Lucia don't have, don't have the fear of God when it comes to storms anymore. You know, because they haven't gotten... So, what's, what's the last hurricane we had? Um, Thomas? That was barely a Category Thomas, 1. Yeah, that was barely a Category 1. The last strong storm, strong hurricane was Allen, you know? And that devastated us. So if you look at it, these homes are really the ones that should be, be targeted, that, that really should be looking for an architect to design, design their, their home for them. And as I said, the, the fee structure that an architect would charge on a small home is comparable to what a, a draftsman would charge. You know? And you get a much, a much better design. Look at what you were, you were speaking about again with your, your last um, project. Um, you had no wind flow through the house. I'm sure it was terrible as well. You had issues with, with the driving rain coming into your house. Where an architect would stand, stand on a site and analyze that site, analyze the, the solar incidents, the wind, all of these things are what we consider when we're designing a home. You, if, you, if you take a, a floor plan off of, off of a, a website and bring it to me, I will tell you, well, okay, thank you very much. Now let me analyze this thing for your site. And if it doesn't work for your site, I'll tell you it doesn't work for your site. You understand? And it's not just it's not just the the wind, it's your foundation as well. If you you take a, a plan offline, you know, and well from online and you you try to adapt it to most sites, it's gonna cost you more to try to adapt that than to have someone design it from scratch. Because when an architect starts to design, he analyzes the contours of the land. That, that will guide him on how to place the house on the land to make it the most economical. Then you, um, when, you're, when you're looking at your, your site, you also have to, of course, look at the orientation to the, to the sun, you know? Because as you had mentioned in the last podcast, you don't really want 
the um, too many of the large windows facing the the um, the areas with high sun incident. You know, the north is the greatest area, but unfortunately, our country is shaped. You know, it has a, it's a it has an oblong shape north to south. So most of our lots tend to have their views to the east or to the west. You know, so you want someone who can analyze all of this and look at it and say, boy, okay, I have my view to the west. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you know the afternoon sun blazing into my house. How can we design this house? It can it can it might not even be um the the it might not even be about including an extra long overhang or you know a brisole on it or something. It might just be a matter of the shape of the house protecting the house itself from the afternoon sun at certain angles. You know, so all of these things are things that architects analyze and believe me. I've always found that when you design a good house for someone around that price range, they are so much more appreciative. Yeah. So for the benefit of, of the members of our audience who may not be familiar um, with the threshold that we, we, we speak about, uh, 2,500 square mm -hmm. feet, um, a house starting at 2,500 mm -hmm. square feet and above is required to have official certification and stamped by a certified registered architect so anything below that is not necessarily required to have an architect intervention however that's why we're here so so jamal we members of the audience watching this this podcast and i say okay we hear you sir how do we go about choosing an architect that's right for us okay hang on first let me address the the threshold because the threshold defines what has to be designed by an architect. It doesn't say that a draftsman can design above 2,500 if he's working, you know, if, if um, he has an architect to review for him. It doesn't speak to review at all. It is actually illegal for anyone who is not a registered architect to design a house or a building over 2,500 square feet and 1,500 for commercial, you know? So it, it is not allowed. And actually persons who... Um, who retain the services of that person could actually be held to account as well. You understand? So it's you have to be cognizant of the law. It's the law of St. Lucia that over 2,500 square feet, it must be designed by an architect. Okay? And then you will also require engineering input on that. <laughs> How do you go about uh, selecting an architect or audience? Okay. Um, well, I mean, they're, they're, as I said, we have 44 members. Um, you know, 26 of whom are registered architects. We have a list of, of our members on our website, so you can actually go to, and we have a list of our members there. Most of our members, if not all, have their websites, so you can check out, you know, the, the quality of work they've done, the type of work they've done. Not all architects um, pay attention to residential buildings. Some of them concentrate almost solely on, on commercial, um, because some of them will tell you that residential buildings are just so much more work than a commercial building. Um, but it's important to get an architect who understands the style of house that you, you want. You understand? Um, not, not all architects are good at designing traditional, you know, um, solution vernacular architecture. Um, and not all are good at designing modern, you know, contemporary style homes. So find one who understands you, one who can, who you can relate to. Remember I said at the beginning that having an architect should be your first point of contact. So you want someone who will understand you and who you can speak to openly. I always tell people, by the time I'm finished designing for my clients, usually we're good enough friends because I know so much about their lives. You know, you, when you're designing for someone, you, you, you sit down and you have to understand how they live, how they, they move about in their house, you know, how they, they interact with their children, how they, what size family they have, if they have a large family and they're always entertaining, you know. So it's important to get someone who you can speak to freely and openly and get them to understand what it is you're looking for. Then you look at, at you know, you, you, get, you get some cost um, comparisons from them. Don't ever go to just one person. Get some cost comparisons. Check out their website for the style of, of, of um, design that they're accustomed to and, you know, take it from there. In terms of the requirements, um of the of the client potentially the home the new homeowner what are some of your requirements for them mm -hmm. before they come to, to to actually select an architect what what is the architect expecting them to to know obviously 
they must know the budget, and we said that very, very earlier on our podcast, uh, other other episodes as well as the one today, that people often design a house, and then when it's costed, it's way, way over the budget. We understand that fundamentally, the mm-hmm. first thing you must know before you even go to an architect is how much money do you qualify for if you're taking a loan or if you are, you, 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 you're paying cash, what's your budget? So they know that now. What, what are some of the things that mm-hmm. they need uh, to know or present to you uh, upon selecting an architect? All right. So again, let me just reiterate what you said. You must know at least your maximum budget. Even if you don't know how much you're willing to spend right now, know what your maximum is. All right. When you come into your architect, also try to ensure you have the land. A lot of people, well, not a lot, but I, I've had them to me and they want to design something. They, they don't have the land as yet. They're thinking about this piece of land. Um, you know, you start to design and then they have to switch to another piece of land. And it's not that simple to just uproot a design and put it on another plot of land. So try to ensure that you have your land or at least it's in the works. You know, you're, you're acquiring the land. Know what it is you're looking for. Um, things like, you know, how many rooms you want in the house, how many apartments you want, you know, what what um, level of clientele you're looking for in your apartment building, you know. So we, we know if you if you just want a, a, a budget-friendly apartment building or if you want something that will attract, um, you know, high-end tenants or if you want short-term rental. A short-term rental building is usually designed a lot differently to a, a, a long-term rental building. You know, so know what it is you're looking for out of that house, out of that building, really. All right. Um, I think, yeah, I think that that is generally where you should start off, you know, what it is we, we would we would ask you for, for us to start off our design. Now, now, so, so we've had the first meeting, we know all of that. What can the homeowner expect? Um, to happen as it relates to how much time you guys are going to be spending together throughout the project? How much time must they commit to, to the project and time to you? It, again, it depends on the complexity of the project. Um, if you... Uh, this is another thing that architects do. Architects will generally help a homeowner define the scope. Okay? So a lot of the time, if, they, if all they know is they want a two- or three-bedroom house... Some of them don't know what style they're looking for, etc. We can help you define that. It's, 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 it can be part of our, our, scope, our scope. Usually I provide that service. Um, so you, you, know, you, you help them put together a proper brief of, of what it is they want. A typical house, a small house, will take an architect anywhere from, I'd say, a month to you know, three, four months, depending on how, how difficult the, the um well, depending on how difficult the client is as well. Some clients can be pretty difficult and non-committal. You know? So a lot of the time you'll go back and forth. Usually, I would say that architects usually come up with their initial concept pretty early. And from there, you have a lot of back and forth about small design, um, design choices before they act- you can actually start doing the, the working drawings. So most of the time, I find, is spent deciding how exactly the house is going to be designed. You know, a lot of back and forth there. Um, from there, once you, once you have settled on a design, usually we have our draftsmen or our technicians working on it. So we, we, we can usually crank that out and put together because most architects, especially with experience, have a lot of their detail, their typical details, et cetera, they would, they would use. Um, so, you know, they, in terms of putting together drawings for approvals, um, that can, we can usually run through that in, you know, one or two months, um, again, depending on the size of the house. The approval process will take any take you anywhere from, I don't know, two weeks, six. Um, as, as was mentioned in the previous podcast, most of the, the hold-ups come when, change, when uh, uh, amendments have to be made to the drawings, and sometimes these things cause issue. But you see, again, usually that happens if, if the design isn't properly thought through, and then the DCA pull picks up on something and then they, they call you out on it. So now a lot of the time the designer or the, the draftsman has to try and figure out how to make that work with, without changing the entire design, you know? Um, and you have the health approval before DCA, sorry, as mentioned in the last one, which is again, another two to six weeks. 
construction, I don't want to put a time frame on construction because construction is, I would say, anywhere from five to five months to, I don't know, a year, depending on the, you know, I mean, we, we're talking residential, multifamily, that sort of thing. Um, depending on the complexity of it, it can take you that much time. So an architect would generate in a fair amount of time, the, well, the most time, as I said, when you're developing the design. So much work goes into developing the design that I, I always tell people that usually, I, by the time I'm done with my, by the time the client has agreed and signed off on, on my design and told me to go ahead with, a, with um, working drawings, I want to have at least half of my money, you know? Because so if, if they, at that point, just take my, my design and go elsewhere with it, I mean, they have the entire design. You know, and, and I've put in probably a couple months worth of work, you know, so, yeah. It's... So just, just moving, moving forward, what's the role of the architect when it comes to, the, so the plans are back from this year, when it comes to giving advice mm -hmm. on selecting a potential contractor and um, after you, you select a contractor, that, that is the client, what's the, the ongoing role of the architect during the construction process? So two questions, one, in helping or giving the client guidance in selecting the contractor, and two, once the contractor is selected, what's the architect's role ongoing in the project? Okay, so most architects would be able to, well, all registered architects as well, would be able to um, develop a, a client, uh, a contract for the client. So they help the client, they will put together tender drawings for the client, a tender package that can be sent out to multiple contractors. They would help the client to review those um, those packages that are received from the contractors, compare them, and decide on a contractor. All right. So an architect should help you do all of that. After that is done, again, this is not something that most um, clients in Saint Lucia do, but it's what should be done. Uh, the architect is the one who designed your house. He is the best person to supervise that that contractor. All right. I'm not saying anything about the the um, ethics of contractors. But you have to understand that if someone is building for you, they are looking at their bottom line. Yes, they want to give you a good quality house, but they don't want to give you that good quality house at their own expense. You know, I've, I have supervised um, construction already where I've had to make a contractor rip out a, a section of foundation that already had wall on it. So he had to break down the wall and remove a section of foundation and redo it just because it wasn't done properly. You know, what you find a lot of the time is something gets done in um, not according to design or in, to an inferior um, level, and it'll be covered up. You know, you, you, you don't want that. You want someone overseeing your contractor. You always want to have someone overseeing. If you have the, 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 the experience and you want to do it yourself, well, fine, you know, go ahead. But I, I would say have a professional supervise the contractor. And that's a separate contract with the architect. Not, not, not necessarily. Um, a lot of architects can build it in, but because in St. Lucia, most of the time you don't find clients um, agreeing to the supervision, most architects in St. Lucia would not include it in their initial proposal. So usually it comes up as a second contract. So from my experience, my first house, um, obviously it was new, but um, we mm. fired our architect uh, during the construction yeah. phase um, because he refused to come up with a solution to remove or relocate a column. And um, he said he wasn't doing it. And my, my wife said, okay, okay, thank you for your services. What's the common or most common areas of conflict from your experience between, uh, past the design stage, but during the construction process between the architect, the client, or the architect, the client, and the contractor? From your experience, what are the key areas of conflict? Um, I understand what you're saying there. Some architects can be very finicky by their designs. Some of them are very rigid and they will, you know, if they think that that the change you're asking them for is going to bastardize their design. You know, some, some architects are like like artists. If, if an artist is putting together a painting and you, you come in and you tell him, boy, you know, change that shade on that side, he's going to tell you, no, 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 I'm not touching it, you know? But I think that most architects in St. Lucia are flexible. What may have happened is, you know, he maybe he couldn't come up with something that would maintain his design, so he just decided to play hardball with it. Um, I would say the, 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 major, the major issue between architect and, 
client is um, usually, it will probably um, come down to cost. You know, sometimes you have um, certain details on the house that you wanted, you know, whether it's stone facing or, you know, some, something of that sort that um, in during construction, the client decides, boy, I just don't feel like spending that amount of money on, on this on this detail. Let's remove it. And sometimes you would have issues where the, the, the architect takes that personally and he doesn't want to, to remove it. But none of that should be any reason for an architect to go so far as to say that he's refusing to make the adjustment. You know, I mean, I, I always tell people, if I design a house for you and during construction, you change it so much that I don't like how the house looks anymore. I just won't put it on my on my, on my website. I won't put it on my portfolio, but I will still ensure that it's built to a good standard. No, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> there, there are many houses I've designed are not on my portfolio or on my website just because it was changed so much that it doesn't look anything like what you know I was expecting it to. Some of them are changed a lot and still come out looking good, and I'll, I may consider putting it in as long as it sort of looks like my, like my my design style, you know. But usually. I would, I would just back off and say, well, yeah, I mean, we'll finish the house. I will ensure it's built to a proper standard, but, you know, I just won't put it in my, in my portfolio. <laughs> um, now, between client and contractor, man, there are so many issues that usually come up. Um, one of the major issues between client and contractor is usually cost, but it's usually overspending or, or lack of funds. Um, you find a lot of the time in St. Lucia, contractors use funds from one project to work on another project, etc. And then when, you know, clients continue paying the contractor every time he submits a, a, a claim. But if you have someone supervising your construction, when he submits a claim and certain things are not done, you know, from an early stage, your architect can tell you, listen, don't make this payment let, yet. Let's resolve this before we move forward. Okay. Now, what happens a lot of the time is the client doesn't want us to halt construction until that thing is is um, resolved. So they will tell the contractor, "Just go ahead, go ahead. We'll, we'll sort that out at the end." You know. And then what usually happens is when you start coming toward the end of the co of the con the contract, there's still a lot of work that has to be done, but there's not enough money left over from the loan to do it. And now, now they they they, they want the architect to try to figure out how to get the contractor to do that work without you know the money being there but at that stage we have no no real power apart from you know going the legal route um you know take court in which case your house still isn't finished the 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 the, the best thing is to listen to your architect or your supervisor along the way if he tells you that your foundation is not done to the correct standard or that something is is missing or that um this piece of the house should have been included in that last payment you give the contractor and he tells you he wants to hold up pause the project until that's resolved pause the project all right and your architect should always have change forms and um, change request forms and um, error reports etc all of these things are the things that architects take note of okay so if you if the client decides that they want to make a change during construction the architect has to take note of it so that he can get that change priced so that we know exactly how much extra you have for the contractor. Because a lot of the time, the client will make changes during construction, thinking that, you know, uh, that's just going to cost me an extra 5000 And then at the end of the day, the contractor comes back and he tells you, well, it cost him 15000 What are you going to do? You didn't, you didn't agree on it before he made the change. You know, these things have to be agreed upon before it's, in, it's implemented. Jamal, my, my penultimate question. What, what are the mm. top three issues you would advise uh, members of our audience uh, listening and, and watching, you know, in considering uh, a start to, as you said, uh, or when considering to start, as you said, what would be more than likely the most significant investment in their life? What three things you want to leave them as they about to embark on this journey? What three things? Boy, that's difficult, you know. Right? <laughs> um, I would say choose your land wisely. Most people don't pay enough attention to the land and the area that they're building in. Choose the land wisely. Um, 
one of the things you cannot really control when you are building is what your neighbors are doing and what what is in the community around you. So, you know, what sort of drainage is there? How much deforestation is in that area? What type of soil you have? You know, you, you want, when you're choosing your lot, you, you may want to get an engineer to, to do some soil tests on that from early, especially if it's a, if it has a, a significant slope. You know, you, you want to pay attention to the soil type so that you, you can understand if what you want to build can actually be built there safely, you know? Um, and as, as, as I mentioned, when you're selecting your lot, you don't know if your neighbors have proper drainage. You don't know if all of their roof water drainage is seeping into the ground in the, on the lot above you and destabilizing the entire hill. You know, th these sorts of things you want to look at. Look at, look at your neighborhood and where you're buying the land. Um, again, consider closely who it is you give to design your home because you want someone who's going to pay attention to all of your, your wants and needs, obviously, but also to the standards. You want someone who's going to design your home to a proper standard and build it to a proper standard. And number three, um, your contractor. Don't select a contractor on the fly. Don't use someone because they're your cousin and they're going to give you a good deal. All right? Family falls out for much less than that. Okay? You want to choose a contractor well and you want to be guided by the professional who's, who's helping you. All right? Um, but apart from the three things, um, you know, when you're starting off, there are things I, I like to to um, remind clients about that are very important, okay? Even if you're building a 1,200 square foot house, all right, we will get a strong hurricane at some point. You want to ensure that that house can withstand even, I mean, at least a category three or four hurricane, you know? A strong five is, is, is a pretty strong storm, but you want to ensure that your house can withstand a good, strong hurricane, okay? So you want it designed properly, but don't skimp on your materials, all right? Don't buy the cheapest roofing you can find. Pay attention to your windows. Most of the time when a house roof goes, it's because your win the windows or the doors um, gave way, you know? So you buy a cheap window that's not impact rated and your neighbor, uh, you know, a clay tile from your neighbor's roof breaks off in a storm and breaks one window. And because of that, your entire roof is gone, you know? Um, don't allow your contractor to skimp on steel details. A lot of contractors will try to tell you, well, boy, okay, the engineer has um, half-inch steel in the slab, but I, I've been doing this for 30-something years or 50 years or whatever. We can get, we, we can we can put three-eighths in that or something. You know, that, that'll still stand. We can put BRC. It is designed with that steel for a purpose. If your engineer tells you that you need that steel in it, put it. The difference in steel cost is not that much, and I can tell you that from experience. All right, putting the half inch in there is not going to cost you that much more than than putting the three eighths or the or the the BRC. So pay attention to that because you. I don't know if people have paid attention to what happened in Dominica, in Grenada, with Ivan, in so many of these other islands. Big concrete block houses have been laying flat. All right, because once you, as I said, your windows go, then your roof goes, and then suddenly you you have this open box that is being battered by you know. 100 miles per hour winds and, and these sort of things. It, it, it can lay block walls flat. All right? So don't skimp out on your, on your windows, your doors, um, you know, and your concrete. Watch who you're buying your concrete from. Not, every, not all the um, suppliers down here supply proper concrete or test their concrete properly. All right? They, they may all have a proper design, a proper concrete uh, mixed design, but not all of them stick to it. If you see a concrete truck come to your site and it's sitting there for an hour and they tell you, well, they'll just add a little water to that to make it softer before they pour it, send that truck back. Right? You don't want that concrete in your house because what a lot of them will do is add some water and then add a little more cement and figure that'll, that'll make it stronger. What you're going to end up with is cracks increase because it has too much cement, not enough um, aggregate, too much water. So, you know, again, it comes down to supervision. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a lot of information there. So clearly you're making a strong case to retain the services of an architect. 
Um, Jamal, this is a, a Caribbean-wide uh, or Caribbean-focused show, but we have a global audience. We have listeners and viewers all the way in Russia and Taiwan. So persons in the diaspora who might be interested in uh, a building in St. Lucia, uh, where can they get more information about the Institute of Arts? Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a, a website. We have so, um, social media accounts as well. So we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram currently. We haven't used the Instagram account too much, but I'm working on that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get all of these social media platforms really active. Um, but our website is, is a, a good source of information. All right, so we can get a lot of information there. And as I said, most of our members um, have their own websites. What I would say is if, you in, if you're engaging someone and you want to find out if they're a registered architect, there's a list of, um, of all the registered architects every year at the ministry. You, you can get it on the ministry's website, I believe. It's gazetted. Um, but you can also, if you engage someone, you can also just ask them for a copy of their, their current um, registration certificate because you get one every year. You've been listening to another episode of the Caribbean Property Investment Podcast with our guest, architect Jamal Francis, who I think made a very, very strong case for architects uh, as opposed to any other uh, provider of structural drawings and design services. Remember to join the conversation. Check out our YouTube channel, LinkedIn page, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and of course, uh, Twitter. Uh, you can also check our website, CaribbeanPropertyInvesting.com. Uh, Remember, everyone needs a place to live, so you might as well own yours. Until next time, see you. I love my community. It teaches you the importance of being together even through difficult times. Business owners doing their best to make it through. Fishermen and farmers working hard to put food on our tables. Nurses caring for the sick shows me who we are made of. People who care. I guess it's about growing together. To ruminate, to create your ultimate living space. And at Courts, you'll find what you need. Choose from our wide range of furniture, electronics, and accessories to complete your space. We're here and ready to assist. Give us a call to place your order. Shop online at shopcourts.com or visit us in store. So ruminate at Courts, bringing value home. Congratulations and thank you for tuning in to the Caribbean's first property investment podcast. We want to help Caribbean people create wealth and achieve financial freedom through property investing. Our show provides general advice based on personal experiences and is for educational purposes only. For more information, resources, and past episodes, visit us at CaribbeanPropertyInvesting.com. Remember to click the subscribe button so you never miss a show. Let's go.